Are you perhaps a college junior or senior with an interest in business and a non-business major? Or perhaps you recently graduated and realized you need to boost your business knowledge to propel your career. Today's show is with the director of Michigan Ross's Master in Management program. Let's hear all about it. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 560th episode of Admission Straight Talk. Thanks for joining me. Before we dive into today's interview, I want to mention a resource accepted that can help you prepare your statement of purpose to a master's in management program or other graduate programs. Download five fatal flaws to avoid in your grad school statement of purpose to learn how to avoid the five most common mistakes we see in statements of purpose, as well as to gain tips on how to write a statement of purpose that makes your story memorable and highlight your qualifications for your target programs. Download this valuable and free resource at accept.com slash 560 download. Our guest today is Julia Hoffert, Director of Admissions and Recruitment, one-year master's programs at the University of Michigan's Stephen M. Ross School of Business. Julia earned her bachelor's and master's degrees in vocal performance, which was one of the less common educational foundations for a career in higher education that I've come across. She moved into higher ed administration at NYU with its educational theater program and then became assistant director of admissions there at NYU. In 2012, she moved to sunny Michigan. And in 2013, she became the recruiting director for U of Michigan's Master of Public Policy and Master of Public Administration programs. She has been in admissions at the University of Michigan ever since. She became the Director of Admissions and Recruitment for Ross One Year Specialty Master's Programs in August 2023. So it's fairly recent. I can congratulate you. Julia, welcome to Admissions Straight Talk. Thank you, Lena. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to speak with you today. Now, let's start with a basic question. What is the Master's of Management at Michigan Ross? Can you provide an overview of the program? Absolutely. The Master of Management program is a 10-month program that is really designed to offer a very foundational business skill set for individuals who do not come from a business background from their undergraduate degree. On a very basic level, the type of people that we see that are the most interested in this type of program come from a variety of undergraduate programs and curriculums. But somewhere in the course of that time, they realize that they lack a certain skill set to add on top of their expertise from their undergraduate program. And they see the business skill set as something that would be a jumping point for them, uh, whether that career be directly from what they did in their undergrad or perhaps even a pivot. But this program really is designed to offer that foundational business skill set that is so functionally useful. Okay. And what are they going to be studying in it? What about the little bit of the structure of the program? So they cover within the curriculum, you're going to see elements of marketing, accounting, financial evaluation, economics, really sort of an overarching view of the business fundamentals that we would likely use in any scenario that we might be doing. 
We also have students have the opportunity to take elective credits and that's where they can in their own way, perhaps take advantage of some of the other areas of interest at Ross, specifically some of the MBA electives. It's very exciting for a lot of students. But in the general sense, you're looking at, at a really foundational skill set within the accounting, financial, marketing, really quantitative based skills work within that. All right. Now you mentioned that you get a, a wide variety, basically everybody except those who majored or got a or got a BBA, right? Majored in business or got a BBA. Correct. So this is for let's say somebody who was in chemical engineering as well as somebody who was an English major. I think that's one of the things I love the most about this program. I can think of this year alone, somebody that I work very close with in this program was a viola performance major and their undergraduate. And then we have engineers, as you mentioned. We also, interestingly enough, I love to see this. We have a lot of students that are really considering maybe a med degree or a law degree later on, but feel that this skill set will be really useful for them as they head into that type of practice. Like, absolutely. I see pre-law. I see pre-med. I see people that are coming from all of these really interesting STEM or science or arts-related backgrounds. And they see this as just a a really foundational opportunity for them. And they plan on using that later on in their own later practice. Interesting. So it's not, so, so for many of them, it's not at all a terminal degree. Not necessarily, but I think what ends up happening is I think sometimes we come into something and we think, well, I'm going to do this after I'm going to go get a PhD or I'm going to go get an MBA. But sometimes what happens is they land a position that they really like. And then they find themselves heading into a different direction that they didn't necessarily sure. think of before. And it might ultimately change their trajectory. Right. But their intention is not that this be a terminal degree or even that it not be always. a step. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not always. So life, life sometimes happens and, and, yes. and we change direction. <laughs> right. We do. Um, all right. Now. Michigan Ross has four one-year master's programs, the master's in management, which is the focus of today's episode, and master's programs in accounting, business analytics, and supply chain management. Those other three seem to be much more focused, kind of deep dives, kind of degrees. Is the MM, it sounds from what you've said, more of a, a generalist degree for those who did not have a foundation in business. It's giving them that foundation in business. That's pretty much what you've what you've described, right? I'm going to see it through a different filter than that presentation. Please. In part because I think what in some ways we're comparing apples to oranges in terms of the type of program. Uh, what I would say specifically about Master of Accounting, Master of Supply Chain Management, and Master of Business Analytics is that it is not atypical us to see business majors going into that type of degree. So they're coming oftentimes from already having those business foundational skill sets, and they're looking for another type of skill set to add on to what they've already done business-wise. Whereas for our students coming a lot of times into the Master of Management, they are experts in something. They've spent four years gaining a level of expertise through their undergraduate, and they're looking to this to layer on to that, to then leverage that expertise. So I hesitate to really think of it in a generalist perspective because these students are very specialized in their own way coming into the program. For them, they're looking a lot of times to leverage their expertise rather than to develop new expertise. Can you give me an example? So I think in some ways, um, what sometimes happens, since we talked about pre-med just recently, we have students who initially went into pre-med and may have done perfectly well within those courses, but through 
shadowing doctors or being in a situation have actually ultimately realized they don't want to be a doctor, but they want the business skill set so that they can head into an administration type of role within a healthcare system or to be a healthcare consultant, that type of work. So sometimes it is where they are using that expertise they have already from their undergraduate, adding that business layer on top of it, and then still going into a very related field within that, but just in a different way than they had originally anticipated. I'm really glad you provided this alternative perspective to it. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's great. it's kind of fun, right? Absolutely. Right. I noticed in, in preparing for the call that the winter semester in the MM has something called a management consulting studio. What's that? <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Okay. okay. So this is, oh, it's, it's wonderful, Linda. So we offer a consulting studio very specifically for master of management students. We also have it for our supply chain program. We also have it for our business analytics program. The reason that we don't have it for accounting is that we have a separate type of experience for them, Ernst & Young in DC. So the consulting studio is actually a required course. And what happens is our partners when the Office of Action-Based Learning do this incredible job of sourcing projects or issues with companies and industries in and around the United States, sometimes even abroad. And these companies offer students basically an opportunity to take everything that they have been learning in the course of their degree and applying it in a very real world scenario with that company. But that is still within the scope of a course. So what that looks like is that this actually literally just happened a couple of weeks ago. We had the reveal, which is a lot of fun. Students have the opportunity to learn about which companies and what project or issue they are looking to have the students do. They then have the opportunity to basically do a rank order and sort of say, this is what I would like to be considered. These are my top three choices. But ultimately the professor will assign students in groups with one another with that company. And they work on that project for the duration of the winter semester. So it's just, just I, I love it. To me, it's where we talk a lot at Ross about the concept of action-based learning. Yes. And yes. this is for me, one of the most pinnacle points of how we live that out because students are working on a real project with a company and really having to synthesize everything that they've been learning up to that point. All right. You know, when I was reviewing the website, I was thinking, where does action-based learning come in? Because that is Ross's signature and brand, really. Yeah. And and this is this is apparently it, right? I would say so. I would say this is probably the most forefront of that or the easiest way to show it. But in truth, I think for a lot of students, what is really surprising for them is the type and the delivery of the courses that they go to. So I think a lot of us are accustomed to, from our undergraduate degrees, heading into lectures where our primary job was to listen and to take notes. And that is still certainly an element of a lot of the courses, but at the other side of it, within each course, there are group projects typically, there are also expectations of engagement. So this is, I think there's the thread of action-based learning throughout the entirety of the curriculum in that that's a very active and engaged type of course experience. And then I think the consulting studio just takes it, notches that up just one more level. Great. All right. Thank you. What are the opportunities for international exposure 
which is certainly a really important element of most MBA programs. What are those opportunities in the Ross MM program? Due to the fact that it is a 10-month program, we don't send students away for a semester because that would constitute a huge yes. amount of time. But we do have short-term global opportunities that are done over the spring break. So students uh-huh. will have the opportunity, and I believe this year, if I'm remembering correctly, um, if they've decided to opt into that, they are going to Italy, which does sound spectacular to me. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> and again, is there a consulting project? Is it touring? Is it Oh, it's definitely part of a course. So there is some mm-hmm. sort of course and there are objectives to the experience. It's not just, hey, let's go have fun in Italy, which is a perfectly normal thing to want to do. But this yeah, is I'd tied into so. learning objectives. I certainly would love to do that. So. <laughs> All right. What jobs are graduates of the MM getting for those who don't go to medical school or law school? Yeah. Uh, unsurprisingly, one of the most popular spaces is consulting. And students are, you know, I'm part of the, the team that does the admissions interviews. And that is often identified as one of the top types of jobs that people are looking to go into. And, and a, a decent portion of them do. Uh, consulting, media, entertainment, there are, it's sort of a smattering. I actually have the employment Uh, We have our employment data posted on the website, and it's really interesting to see how it sort of breaks down. But we see the the three top ones are consulting, marketing, and sales work. And then what is the other top one that I'm thinking? Finance. Heck. Oh, finance. Um, So they are, yeah. Yeah. All right. And so they, they, they seem to be doing well in terms of their, their job outcomes and employment opportunities, right? Absolutely. I think for a lot of students, it, it helps get the foot in the door. And then ultimately, once the foot is in the door, it helps with how fast they're able to progress within an organization because they have this this skill set on top. Sounds great. Now let's talk about getting in. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, Let's get to the meat and potatoes of it, Linda. What kind of academic background are you looking for from applicants? Well, for this particular program, anything but business, full stop. Okay. And within that... What, what we see and what we ask for is we do have one prerequisite course. We want one quantitative course that we can sort of look at and review. We specify that that has to be either pre-calculus or statistics. Obviously, okay. if people have calculus or above, that's great. But the baseline is that we need to see one prerequisite quantitative coursework during college. During college. So your high school work, uh, you know, if you took the AP calc exam. If the AP transferred over to college credit, we will still accept that. Because if the okay. university that you're going to says that that is legitimate for that type of course, then we will accept that. Okay. All right. And in terms of, of grades? For... I would say the average GPA, if we were to look right in the middle, it stands around a 3.6 to 3.7. Okay. All right. And in terms of experience, obviously they don't, most of them won't have full-time work experience. They'll have very limited That's full-time true. work experience, but Early career or, or um, pre-experience doesn't mean no experience. So what are you looking for there? So for us, it is very specifically a pre-experience program. So they cannot have over two years of work experience by the time they apply to the program. And I would say probably a solid 90% of the people coming into the program are coming directly from their undergraduate degrees. So some of them are definitely in the zero category. There'll be zero full-time work experience. Correct. Right. Right. But part-time work experience? 
Wouldn't we don't have expectations necessarily. So the students, okay. due to the varied backgrounds that they have, it's it's un, not uncommon for us to see maybe one to two internships or mm -hmm. part-time work experience. Or sometimes we really try to contextualize if we have students that come from backgrounds where they had to work during the entirety of their college career to be able to pay for it and therefore right. didn't have the opportunity to do it. So I think in general, we want to see students who have somehow engaged within their community while in college, during their college years. And if they have an internship or two that has helped craft why they want to do this program, that's even better. All right. And given, well, you mentioned that uh, they should take, they should at least have calculus or statistics in terms of their background but you're fine with social sciences or humanities. Now let's turn to the application components. I know the test requirement is the GRE or the GMAT, but if an applicant can can waive out of the test if their GPA is above a 3.3, is that correct? correct? That is correct. Is there any, any test preference between the GRE and the GMAT? No, there isn't. And just to quickly clarify, it's pre-calc, not necessarily calculus. That's the, right, pre-calc. For I'm the sorry. prerequisite. Oh, no, no, that's okay. I just didn't want anyone to get start to get worried as they listen to us. Yeah. Um, in terms of that GRE GMAT question, we do not. So the students who can wave out of it have to have a cumulative undergraduate of a 3.30 and above. And then we simply do not have a preference GRE versus GMAT if they take if they have to take that exam. Practically speaking, because I'm always practical, I understand that students will be likely applying to multiple programs. So take the test that makes sense for all of the programs that you're applying to. Right. Are there other scenarios where somebody got the waiver, they got the 3.3, they waived the exam and you see, gee, I, I really wish I would have a test score to help me evaluate this, this person's candidacy? No, we really try to, if we put that information out there that we're okay with the 3.30 and above, then we have to live by that. So we're very strong about that. But we do retain the right that if we need to ask for that, we will ask for that. I would say in a circumstance where I might feel that is if I am seeing a transcript where I have way too many withdraws or pass fail courses on there and the 3.30 that's on there, especially if they're towards the 3.30 at the end of that spectrum, if you will. Or if there's um, a downward trend. That absolutely. No, but, um, and that would be, uh, that's not, honestly, Linda, I just don't see a lot of that in my group of applicants, okay. thankfully. So I don't, I have not had to necessarily exercise that right, but we do retain that right to say, listen, we, we need a little bit more information about you. Could you provide? Um, and that, that would be something we would do, but it would have to be a fairly extreme circumstance. Now, um, your essays, the essay questions seem to value concision. <laughs> uh, there are 203. <laughs> 300 yeah. word limits. Okay. Which is not a bad yeah. quality. Uh, no. Could we review them? And could you give some tips for answering them? Sure. Um, absolutely. Okay. So the first one is please describe two or three meaningful ways in which you have engaged in your communities. 200 word minimum content above 300 words will not be reviewed. So that's, that's pretty, pretty clear what you're expecting there, certainly in terms of length. And then, um, actually, that's the second question. The first one is, how will the Masters of Management support you in achieving uh -huh. your short and long-term goals? What led you to pursue a graduate degree in business? And again, same minimum, maximum, 200 minimum, 300 max. Correct. And then three is self-evaluation. Please answer the following questions and provide specific examples where possible. Again, please describe your strengths and provide detailed examples where these strengths were exhibited. 150 word minimum, 300 max. 
Please comment on your areas of development or weaknesses. I like that phrase, by the way. And what efforts you have made to address those areas, 150 word minimum, 300 max. Please describe your ability to work with others on group projects or other team settings. Provide an example when you contributed positively in a group project or team setting, 150 word minimum, 300 word maximum. And yeah. there's an optional essay where you generously give 500 words. Okay. So um, let's talk about the brevity first. Um, and okay. the, reason, the reason why I would say that we've put this out there is that a few reasons. Number one, we live in the, in the world of AI where we can generate a lot of text fairly easily, but not necessarily a lot of meaning within that text. So what I don't need and what none of the readers need is a thousand words of expounding and fluff. What we want is a sense of purpose and a sense of efficiency, which is frankly, within the business realm, a lot of times when we're talking about making first impressions and being able to talk about yourself, you've got to get to the idea and you've got to get to it efficiently. Otherwise, you're going to lose your audience. So this is not to be um, punitive, but it is to drive home the example that we don't, I am not here to look at your academic sample writing elements. We are here to review information about you that we need to know that we're not necessarily going to be able to glean from the other elements of your application. So if we wanted to walk through the first one about the short-term versus long-term career goals and what led, we need to know what your overall ideas are for yourself. I will say for the master of management students, this this essay overall tends to be a little bit more general than some of my other programs that are reviewed for, in part because in some ways students are still exploring what that might look like for them. That's okay. But really being able to talk and be aware of that is wonderful. And also the second part of that question is how this program fits within the scope of why you want to do this and how it will help you. So that's what we would like to see. If you have some specific goals, fantastic. I, I will take that a thousand times over. If you have dreams for yourself, beautiful. That's what we want to see. We want to see people that are really excited about something, whether or not they know the specifics yet of that something, we can work with that. Then when we talk about the student engagement beyond the classroom, one of the joys of my job that I really love creatively is thinking about asking questions that really get at the heart of what we're hoping to understand about somebody. We previously used to ask questions that said, what would you do while you're at Ross? And what, what ended up happening is I would get my website re regurgitated in an essay form. And what I realized was like, wait a minute, what I really wanna know is how have you engaged in the past? Because sometimes past behaviors will show the type of person that will be coming into this program. That's more useful. So I'd love to see a student who has been involved in some kind of extracurricular activity that means something deep to them and perhaps where they have grown into it, right? I started off as you know a participant in this and now I'm the VP or I'm doing the marketing, or I'm doing something, it's wonderful to see when people have actually taken an activity and grown with it, rather than just put it on a resume to have a check mark. I don't want a check mark. I want to know how you've made an impact. And then the self-evaluation is new this year. And I love this because it gives us the opportunity and gives the student the opportunity to really do some self-reflection. 
what do I do really well? What are my key strengths? You know, my our team just recently did the Clifton Strengths Finder. You know, it's really interesting to see your strengths and know that and be able to talk about that. Where do I need to develop? That's an important thing to ask yourself. And I love it when I can see students that can say something specific. You know, I've really had to work and I continue to work on my presentation skills or public speaking is not my favorite thing, but here's what I'm doing. Here's how I'm sort of thinking about it or my networking skills, all, things that are in opportunities and ways for them to grow. If all I get through the course of an application is how perfect a student is, I have no reason to understand why a student would need to gain these skills. What's the point? And then finally, the other one uh, we find really important because a lot of times when we talk about, we see people that have you know amazing GPAs, their test scores are off the charts. There's, everything's off the charts but how are they to work with in a team environment? Ross and the way the students learn here, you do not get to sit in a corner in the library by yourself and work on an island of your own. You are working in a group setting very frequently. Are you going to be a good group member? How have you been a good group member? What's really interesting to me, you will probably giggle, but a few times on the one where we have asked for comment on your areas of development, We've had people brave enough to just simply put NA, which is not a good thing. We all have areas of development. This is not to trap somebody in the corner, but this is to see a level of self-reflection and understanding so that again, driving it back home that this is about your experience and why you potentially need this type of Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. It, it's always amazing, isn't it? Something always yeah, is Yeah, it is. It is, it is it's not asked so much now, but it used to be asked much more years ago. Tell us how you've handled a failure. Oh yeah. Sometimes we ask that in the interview. All right. And um, I remember one, one client said, I've never failed. And I was thinking to myself, you've, you've never, you, you just failed at self-evaluation. <laughs> I don't think I said that to him, but that's what I was thinking. But think about can you imagine working with that within the scope of a team? Yeah. What would no. that be like? Yeah. I have on, I have a bulletin board in my kitchen and I have certain phrases that I like on that bulletin board along with, you know, grandchildren's artwork and such. And some of my grandchildren have actually memorized all the phrases. And one is from JK Rowling's. And it, I don't, I don't have it memorized. One of my, my grandsons could quote it directly, but it's something to the effect that um, if you've never failed at anything, you might as well not have lived because you haven't tried anything. You haven't tried anything or you're and you failed and you awareness. failed by default. You failed by default. <laughs> and, failed and you have default. failed. You're also in denial because yeah. we all fail. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Again, you failed with self-awareness. And what about <laughs> the optional? I mean, is it really optional? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. The concept of the optional essay is truly not a trick. You do not have to submit it. But if you do, I want information in there that you feel we really need to know about you for some reason or another. So we as admissions professionals, our goal and our job in reviewing an application is to see where there may be gaps or holes. That could look like a really cruddy semester where you took way too many classes that were not your strength and it just didn't go well for you. 
It could be a semester where perhaps you had a health crisis of some type and that affected you. So we see when something is slightly not right. And if you are willing to give us some context and talk a little bit about acknowledging that and how you perhaps journeyed through that to another positive side of it, that is what that optional essay really is for. If on your resume, you have no internships and your extracurriculars are limited, maybe talk to me about how you've been working 20 to 25 hours a week at a job so that you could help fund your undergraduate college degree education. And that's why you don't have those types of things. You can also Again, talk about what you learned in that part-time job. Exactly. And a lot of times I love seeing this, when I see them list the part-time jobs within their resume themselves, and I see they've been doing it for three years and they've progressed in their duties, that speaks volumes to me. Let me know about these things. I This is your opportunity to flesh out areas of your application that may just be great for us and that we may not understand. So give us an opportunity to understand it. I would say probably on average in any given cycle, it's about 15 to 20% of the students who ultimately submit that optional essay. What I don't want is the personal statement that you wrote for another school to just be put in there as something to put in there. Don't feel that you have to put something in there. Give me something that gives me more information. Okay, sounds good. What can an interviewee expect if lucky enough to be invited to interview? And are all oh. admitted students interviewed? They can expect a party, Linda. It'll be so much fun. So, <laughs> I hope they have as much fun as we're having right now. <laughs> so what they can expect, they will expect somebody from the admissions or recruiting team to be doing their interview. So this is not a current student, nor is it an alumni, but someone who is on the admissions and recruiting team here in the one-year master's programs. They can expect the Zoom or a Google for us a Google meeting, but they can expect what you and I are, are doing right now, which is a 20 minute conversation. And the questions are centered on be behavioral based types of questions. Your academic behaviors and experiences, perhaps your professional experiences and behaviors. We will sometimes ask things around diversity, equity, and inclusion, as that is, those are the values of our university. And we want to really talk about those in a substantive way. We want to try to assess how you behave in these scenarios to understand how you might be within a group scenario if you're on a group project. So the questions you, might be like, how have you handled XYZ situation in the past? Absolutely. We might ask a question like, tell me about a time when you disagreed with a team member. How did you handle that disagreement? Or tell me about a time you've had to motivate your group. Or tell me about a time when you've had a different idea than the rest of the group. How did you manage communicating that? These are not designed to trick you and we they're not designed to, I'm not looking to ask you to create an algorithm from you know something. I'm not I'm not looking for your skill set. I'm looking to understand a little bit more about your behavioral based scenarios. And are are the interviews are conducted by the admissions office personnel? and they've reviewed the application, would they possibly ask a question about some something in the application? Like, why did your grades dip this semester or something like that? Unlikely. No, we won't put anyone okay. on the spot like that. We're okay. more likely in that scenario to simply have the resume in front of us and maybe ask or reference pieces of the resume in terms of, you know, 
Uh, tell us about this extracurricular activity that you did because I see it on the resume. What did you learn from it? Those types of questions. Got We're it. going to presume that if there are those gaps that we will give the student the opportunity to have addressed that in the optional essay portion. Okay. Okay, great. Now, when the show airs, the three application rounds will have passed and two rounds will be remaining. We have the February 9th deadline for 20, that's February 9th, 2024. Already. Which is the, I know I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> which crazy. is the final, yeah. Final deadline for internationals and April 5th for the domestic applicants only. Um, yeah, this is, this upcoming cycle is going to be the 2024, 2025 cycle, but in any case, we'll, we'll, that's not part of the question is an applicant <laughs> at a disadvantage if applying in round four or five, or are they better off waiting until next year? Uh, the first question in terms of, are they at a disadvantage? I would say no, we absolutely in the past have admitted from every single one of the rounds. So we have never closed down applications or you know, stopped admitting people from rounds. That is not something I anticipate happening this year. So I would not put that as a point of concern. I will always advocate for an earlier application simply because it takes that task list off of your task or a task off of your task list, so to speak, and gets that out of your way. However, one of the things I really wanna drive home is to apply for the round in which you feel really ready to submit the materials and you have your materials ready. And then on top of that, we this year have published the dates that if admitted within a certain round, when we expect a student must give us their final decision as to whether attending the program. So I want students to really apply for the program by which by the time they know that they got into the program and the time they have to tell us, they know they are ready to make that commitment. So we very specifically put those dates on our website purposely this year so to avoid situations where they're waiting for another school to tell them their decision. Apply for the round that you are ready to apply and ready to make the commitment. Okay, great. Great answer. What are some common mistakes that you see in applications to the Master of Management Program at Michigan? 100% my top mistake is when somebody submits their essay for another program to this. It's, it, it's, it's a combination of charming and slightly unfortunate that that happens. It's not, what I will tell you is I am, we are not mean. We do not throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, that's it. You know, how dare they talk about Duke during their application to us. If we don't do that kind of <laughs> stuff, but please do yourself the favor and look through everything before you submit it. That's one of my top ones that definitely happens. The second one that happens is deciding that the recommender source that somehow flashier is better or that special is better in terms of the person. I don't want the top name of the people that you know in your world. What I want is the person who will take the time to actually write a thorough, thoughtful recommendation about you that is going to give me information that I'm not going to get from the rest of the application. So I've had a circumstance before where I've had a excessively famous rock star write and write a recommendation. This was from NYU Steinhardt, but it was two sentences long. So yes, the name and the autograph was so exciting on a very basic level, but the information was really not there. And that's not useful. 
So choose the professor or even the TA or GSS, GSI, as we call them in our world at U of M. If that person has had a lot of, in, lot of time with you and has seen your growth academically, that's great. I want, I want that type of source. Or I love the supervisor from your internship. Or if you are a student athlete, I love the coach that talks about how how you are on the team, how you've grown as a human being, what types of attributes you have. But what I don't need is a famous person just for the sake of having a famous person. That's not the goal. So consultant and accepted was the admissions director at, at Michigan's business school. It was before it was Ross, I'm almost positive. Yeah. And she said that they got a letter of recommendation once signed by former president Ford, who was originally from Michigan. And, um, you know, it got passed around the office. It was a novelty, but didn't really do anything. Didn't say much. He didn't know the, the applicant or barely knew him. And he was doing somebody a favor and signed a letter and didn't do anything. It, it was no. a novelty. And that was all. I think the key is that you want your recommender to know you well, not yes. to be most known in the world. It, it it just doesn't, it's not helpful. It's, I know a lot of people think that if you have a secret handshake or if you know the right person or all of this stuff, it's not really the case. We just want to know about you and we want to know it in a thorough way, not from just a flashy novel source. It just doesn't do anything. Keep the focus on you, not on the recommender. 100%. Always keep the focus on you. Right. What about those uh, planning ahead? All right. Let's say I'm a junior in college now and I'm thinking that, you know, business degree would really complement, as you said earlier, my the skill set that I've developed in college. Um, how can I prepare myself to apply successfully in 2024-25 for the, for the next application cycle, not for this application cycle? Absolutely. My first thing is get the prerequisite course out of the way if you have not already done so. So if you don't have statistics or a pre-calculus-based course, then get that done. Just register for it now or make sure you registered for it for your the fall of your senior year. Don't hold off later to do that. Then my second recommendation would be start interacting with us through our recruiting events. We offer online recruiting events, and we also have an upcoming Ross OYM open house happening on February 1st, where you can come into the Ross building and meet current students, talk with our centers and institutes, and really get to know us and see the space in person, which is very powerful for a lot of people. But start interacting with us. We have two incredible admissions advisors that are part of our team. Jillian Drzinski is the person who oversees the Master of Management once specifically. She would be somebody to start having a conversation with. And their primary job is really to welcome a student into the process of applying and to be of reasonable assistance. And by reasonable, I mean, at least do your homework online, look at things, don't ask us things that you can find out online very easily, um, come to the table with a little bit of preparation. Sounds good, thank you. Let's say I go for the master of management, work for a few years and then decide I wanna go back for an MBA at Ross. Will I have to take the full two year MBA program at Ross? So. I wanna say this with a big qualifier. Right now, the answer to that is yes. My qualifier is, please have this conversation with me in another one to two years, and we might be having a slightly different conversation. Okay. Now, what I will say about that current answer of yes, 
is that the expectation is never that someone has to repeat the same coursework that they've already done. So there are waiver exams that are offered where students can potentially waive out of some of the core courses that are required for the MBA. Now, what that means though, is you waive out of having to take that course. It does not waive you out of the credits. So you could find other courses to fulfill those credits and augment your experience. But currently the, the MBA program would still be at the two year mark. Again, I wanna have this conversation with you in like one to two years and we will recheck in with each other because I things evolve as they should and this may evolve. Okay, sounds good. What is your favorite resource or part of the MM program at Ross or being a part of Ross? I would be remiss to not really highlight the Ross Career Development Office. It is 100% one of my absolute favorite elements of the experience for students here that I think, oh man, I wish every school and college had something like this. I wish I had had this when I was going through my 20s. The Ross Career Development Office is the hub for what it means to be looking to go into your career post-Ross. And what that looks like is career coaching. So you have the opportunity to speak with a career coach who is in contact with industry and is really understands the temperature of what's happening and in industry so that students can have really substantive and realistic conversations about their goals. Also, we do resume building, networking opportunities, other skills building pieces so that when students are heading into the recruiting season, that they are really in a space where they're putting their best foot forward to have the most successful outcome that they can hope for. Also, one of the things I love is that office really engages our alumni beautifully. And that is a distinctive quality about U of M as a whole, as well as Ross, is I find our alum are excessively interactive and really want to stay connected with, with our students. And I think that students are not required to have to take advantage of this resource, but do it. It's amazing. I think had I had the opportunity to have a conversation about my career trajectory in my early 20s. What a beautiful thing. What a great idea. And I think that that is one of my absolute favorite resources. Thank you. Thank you very much for that answer. Now, what questions would you like to answer that I haven't asked? Well, I think that every school and every town has its character. And I think that one of the things that I love is the character that is Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where the Ross School of Business lives. So I'm gonna filter it through my perspective. And so please pardon that because this is not about me, but I, I think it's important to know that I'm a big town girl. I love a big city. I spent 13 years of my formative life in New York City. It was one of the best things in the world, but it was also time to leave when it was time to leave. I had a two-year-old kid getting through the subway system with with a stroller and everything else was just no longer my jam. But what I will say is that Ann Arbor as a town and as a home space is really was really the one place that we as a family and myself as an individual really looked at and thought, wow, this this is really excellent. Did you have family there at the time? No. So my husband is an alum of U of M. And um, a little fun fact that you don't know about me, Linda, is that I started at U of M and then I transferred to NYU. So I did oh, already have a little bit of experience okay. there at U of M and at, in Ann Arbor. And what I love about it is that we, we find that there's still so much culture and distinctive qualities that really allow for students to be in an 
in an incredibly active and engaged atmosphere. And that is just, it's such a fun and distinctive space. I think whenever anyone is looking at a college or a university, what you never know until you go there is how you're going to feel when you're there. And that's the part that I really wish that I could, I wish I could bottle it up, put it in a cute little package and send it to students because I think that that's really an important part of the, a part of the entire experience is being in this community. You can go to a football game in the big house and then you can go to a concert in Hill Auditorium, which is one of the most acoustically perfect spaces in the United States. There's just this incredible variety and spectrum of opportunities. And I think students are often really surprised by that. They think, oh, it's the Midwest, right? This is just the Midwest. No, there, there's a lot happening here. And it's really a great time to spend a year here. I mean, I plan on spending much longer than that, but you know, for those going into this program, it's a year. And that's the other thing I really want to highlight. It's a year. So keep that in mind, you know, keep when you're dealing with a rigorous curriculum, when you're dealing with all of the things that you're trying to figure out, we can get through a lot of things. And a year, functionally speaking, is not as you can get through anything in a year. But Ann Arbor is a really great place to be. And I think how it feels to be here is really fun and exciting. That's great. Thank you very much. I want to thank you very, very much for joining me today, Julia. I've enjoyed learning about Michigan Ross's Master in Management program. Where can listeners learn more about it online? The best place to go is to go to our main website, which I'm going to look at before I say it, because the last thing I want to do is give you the wrong one. But if you go to michiganross.umich.edu, you will land at the hub of Michigan Ross. And then from there, there are ways to navigate to the graduate program sections, but also check out the centers and institutes. We, You and I could spend a lot of time talking about those types of experiences as well, but check out the clubs as well. There are so many opportunities to be in different types of communities. So that is the main place to start. And then if you have any questions and just need to reach out to us, you can do Ross one year at umich.edu. And that's sort of a main space to start for questions about the programs. Wonderful. Thank you again. And listener, you can also find links in the show notes at exhibit.com slash 560 to Michigan Ross's Master's in Management program, as well as to other resources of interest. I also want to invite you, listener, to download for free Five Fatal Flaws to Avoid in Your Grad School Statement of Purpose. You can find it at exhibit.com slash 560 download. That's one word, exhibit.com slash 560 download, or by going to the show notes at exhibit.com slash 560 and clicking on the relevant link. And I want to thank you, listener, also for tuning into this, our 560th episode. If you found this show helpful, subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcatcher you prefer. You can find subscribe links at, you guessed it, exhibit.com slash 560. This is Admission Straight Talk produced by Accepted, and I am your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week. 